Thank you. I'm kind of sweaty. It's hot. (laughs) It's warm. Hey, everybody. Episode six. What to say? Um, To be perfectly honest, I have been feeling pretty wibbly, pretty wobbly. Not great. Feeling kind of like a wrecking ball in most areas of my life at the moment. But I'd like you to know that this conversation that you're about to hear, my conversation with Levi, played a pretty big role in me picking myself back up a little bit. Um, And I hope that you guys feel as much of the love from him in this conversation as I felt because I just think that he's just a super sweet and loving person. A little background, Levi and I have known each other since we were wee children, but have not really seen each other in probably like the past 10 years. And to try to explain how our families are connected, you just have to know that Within Latinidad, within the church, within Utah, the world just becomes very, very small. And as far as I'm aware, one of my uncles served with his dad or also his mom on a mission. And then we all ended up here and we they used to come to our, our family gatherings. Um, but that's how we knew each other. And I could not be more grateful for the seemingly random connection because Talking to Levi this past week has really carried a lot of weight in how I am carrying myself into this week. And that's why I hope that you guys really get something out of this conversation, because I really, really did. So thank you, Levi. And without further ado, episode six, a conversation with Levi. Okay, well... I mean, what do you know? One know. My name is Levi Ariel Williams. How's that for a middle name for a kid who doesn't want to be different? Um, so yeah, Levi Ariel Williams. You know, born in Utah, raised in Utah, lived in Utah, of all places, a little bit of country. And um, yeah, I went to Aspen Elementary, then Oak County Junior High, Pleasant Grove High School, and then attended Utah State University for a year, ran track up there, which was fun. Um, And then served a mission in El Salvador, came back, went to BYU, was there for a hundred (laughs) years. And went through this whole kind of process of trying to rediscover myself, you know, had all these plans that I thought I wanted for my life, but then I realized eventually I needed to come out. And so I did that, but then was still in the church and then kind of had a second coming out of like, oh no, now I'm dating boys. And you know, eventually kind of finished school and had to start working. And now here we had some relationships and here we are. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, half Mexican. So my dad is from Colorado. My mom is from Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Um, And she came over to the States when she was in her early 20s. Yeah. So there you go. And I think we can build off a little bit from that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, something that really was kind of stood out to me in one of your questions was just kind of part of even this introduction, like, have I ever felt discriminated against? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that would be kind of an interesting place to start, unless there was a question that you wanted to ask first. No, that's perfect. Go for it. Okay, cool. So it's interesting because as a kid, like, obviously when you're around other kids, kids pick on other kids. And when you, I remember growing up, there were very few 
like Latins around us. Like in, especially, in, I mean, where did you go to like Bonneville? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many Latin kids were around you. Like zero. So few. Yeah. I think I, I remember there was one black girl in my uh, class. And then I want to say there was maybe like two other kids that I remember being like colored and different. And usually I was getting picked on because I was like kind of girly and maybe the other kids were getting picked on because of the color of their skin. And sometimes it was because of the color of my skin, but it's interesting because as a kid, when I would observe other people getting picked on or discriminated against in some way or another, it's not that I felt discriminated against. Suddenly it was me discriminating against myself. And I feel like that is kind of what my life has been is where like, I've, I've definitely been a witness to a lot of discrimination some of the hardest things has been learning to not discriminate against myself because I just don't want to be different and then not discriminate against my loved ones. And it came out of, you know, when I would get frustrated with my mom for speaking Spanish to the grocery store, like we're in America, speak, speak English. You know what I mean? Which is like so mean and like so sad. Or like when we were with like a bunch of my Latin family and, you know, you go to Lagoon and they like, I don't know, just do a lot of like weird Mexican things, which is like so fun, you know, bring all your tamales or you just like, you know, bring, you don't buy food at the park. You, you know, bring basically your whole kitchen with you and you're like, (laughs) wait, why are we different? You just don't want to be different. And it came out of this place of, I didn't want anybody to make fun of them. And I didn't want anyone to make fun of me. So it was like, sometimes I got so self-conscious about standing out. But so that's kind of where I kind of started with like, feeling discriminated against it was like a lot of it was discrimination against myself as I witnessed discrimination against other people mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know if you experienced something similar I yeah I think a little bit um I can identify with what you're talking about kind of like preemptively um you kind of like you said like to to protect yourself and protect your family you were trying to um normalize them yeah which I think um I don't know if I ever really thought about it so um, specifically that way, or maybe that's something that you've just come to realize later. But um, yeah, I do think that there have been, you know, there were times when I was just like, yeah, I mean, especially because my mom is like so light skinned that, you know, until she opens her Mm. mouth, people are just like, oh yeah, she's a white lady. Or like people just assume all the time. They're like, oh yeah, your dad's Mexican, but your mom's American, right? I'm like, they're both American, but. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I think that brings up a good point is I think you had two Mexican parents. Mm -hmm. Are they both Mexican? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool because you can like kind of fit into that identity. Does that make sense? Yeah. A little bit. I mean, in, in some way, I don't know, but like I realized this and when I was taking a course in college and I was like, why have I always just wanted to fit in? And I realized it was because growing up there was like, I never felt like I really fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it was like, when we were with our Mexican family, it was like, Oh, those are, you know, Dan and Sissy's kids. They're the ones that don't really speak very well. They're also super Mormony and their moms, like their mom and dad don't let them watch anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then when we were with our, my dad's side of the family, um, we were the Brown kids, right. Just like we were the ones that were different. Um, and then on top of that, there was me being just a boy, but being very effeminate, like really interested in girly things. And so it was like, 
no matter where I went, it was like, I was different in some way. Mm. And I think that's why I started to like develop this fear of being different and just like wanting to curate my life in a way that would make sure I wasn't different, Mm -hmm. that I fit in somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one thing that I kind of, um, you're the first person I've talked to thus far mm-hmm. who's have they, yeah one white parent one not white parent mm-hmm. and um like like you brought up before you know that both my parents are mexican but there's and i've been trying to figure out for a long time exactly why it is that i feel like because i talk to my friends who are mixed and i feel like i identify more with like their experience than someone who has two mexican parents and yeah. i feel like part of it is that um from even talking to my parents more recently when they joined the church, I feel like they left behind a lot of the more cultural Mexican things and were, and, and I don't know if it was consciously or not, like cleaving to like proximity to whiteness in the way of the church. Mm-hmm. And I, I got asked all the time, even people who hadn't seen my mom would ask me all the time, like, are you a have seen? And if I didn't know what that was at first, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And they're like, like one of your parents is white and the other one's Mexican. And I was like, no, both my parents are Mexican. I'm like, my mom's like pretty mm-hmm. light skin, but, but I feel like I got that a lot because they didn't get the vibe off of me of like super Mexican, you know? And, you know, and that's like a whole other conversation of like what that really means, but right. I don't know. And the more I talk to people, the more I feel like none of us ever really feel like we fit into anything, but I definitely feel like your experience, like with all of the differences that you did have, like or that you do have, it, it had to be a very different experience. And like, what, what was that like with your parents? Like, did they ever talk to you about, I don't know, like, I can't even think of like, what, like, did they ever talk to you about, you know, people might treat you differently or no, that's funny. Did you guys ever have like open experiences about discrimination or anything? Cause we definitely did. But. Um, okay. So open experiences, I mean, I mean, even to this day still, I mostly witness them with my mom, Mm -hmm. but I mean, my parents never like sat us down and was like, Hey, just so you know, you might be different. You might be treated different or whatever. But I think it's because you you mentioned something really interesting, which was that they kind of left behind a lot of their heritage. Your parents did Mm -hmm. to kind of cleave unto like the culture of the church. And I think that that was the identity that my parents wanted us to assume right was the identity of like a worthy member of the church mm-hmm. and then they that became the like first priority of like who we were the way that we lived like so much so that like we assumed that especially as the older kids like me and my older sister because there are five of us and I'm number two and we like a, a lot of gaps so me and my oldest sister were like pretty close in age and then there's four years and then there's another three years so it's like the gap starts to get pretty big anyway so I think me and my sister experienced this more but like my parents when we were growing up were like so strict about everything which not everyone is mm-hmm. you know and I think it kind of I kind of became like a little bit self-righteous in the way that I like worshiped because, and I think part of it was that I was like, okay, I might not fit in here. I might not fit in here, but at least I can be the best church goer ever. Right. And if I can be the best church goer ever, then I know that I have a place where I like fit in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Or where I belong. Yeah. 
That so I feel like that's very um that's a very poignant thing. I feel like in my own way, I I felt the same way. I don't know when people would point out because we always went to English speaking wards and we were always like one of like maybe three brown families, the only Hispanic family. And when my dad was bishop, it was this like huge thing. Like everyone was like, what? Like I remember one guy even got up like this the fast Sunday that my dad was called and was like the last person that I ever would have thought would have been called as bishop of this ward. Like it's Brother Gonzalez, like blah blah, blah all this stuff. And I was like, what the heck? Why are you getting up and Thank saying that? Like, that is so weird. Why are you saying that? But <laughs> stuff like that happened the whole time my dad was bishop. And it wasn't really until then that I realized that like, oh, people don't just see us as like another family that comes to church here. They see us as like this Latino family that comes to church here. And the people were like not very welcoming to my dad, that they were not very, I don't know. There were a lot of people who had beef with my dad. And I think that he kind of subscribed to the same thing that you're saying, where he was like, very like by the book, if it's not in the manual, it's not happening, which like, you know, it's by the manual's there, I guess. But people didn't, did not like that. They did not like that. And and they were like, well, the last bishop did this, or my other bishop did this. And he was like, well, we're not doing that. And we got like, not nice notes, like left in our mailbox, like anonymously all the time. And oh my gosh. just things like that. So I think like from there, I, I kind of did the same thing where it was like, I don't know, my parents like sat us down when my dad got called to be bishop and they were like, you're not going to do the thing where like the bishop's kids always rebel. And I was like, is that a thing? Like, I've never heard that before, <laughs> but they no, were like, they're like, we're not doing that. Like you guys are just going to be like the way that you've always been. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that I was just going to change my mind about who I am because dad's bishop. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting. But it was almost like, I don't know. I leaned heavier into stuff. Like anytime my dad either had people get back to him super late. Like, oh, I can't give a talk this week. Like I, I, from the time I was in ninth grade to the time I was 19, I probably gave a talk like every three to six months because like, really? yeah, cause he would just like fill in with us randomly. <laughs> cause he was like, I can't get people to give a talk. So you're giving a talk. So I got really good at giving talks. Not anymore. But, um, but yeah, just, it was kind of that thing where we were very, and I don't know. Like, if I really thought about it at the time, but it definitely was like a people for the first time I'm realizing are treating us like we don't belong here the way that everyone belongs here. And so I'm going to show them that I do. Yeah. That, no. Yeah. That's really well said. Because it comes for me, it went back to just wanting to fit in. Mm. Like, if people don't think that I belong here, well, then I will show them that I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So we were talking about discrimination. I was just talking about some of the experiences with my mom and I'll share a couple of things. And I remember sometimes my mom, she would come home from just like driving around and she would be like, oh, I got pulled over today. And the officer asked me to like step out of the car. And I would be like, why? She's like, well, he didn't tell me. And this has happened several times to my mom. I mean, I don't think it helped that like growing up, she drove like a, you know, really old, old blue Astro van. <laughs> but, um, but even when she's like driven newer cars and things like that, she's just been pulled over and asked to step out of the vehicle for no reason. And my mom's just the sweetest, but she'll just like accept it and she'll take it. Um, but there, one of the most recent things that I've experienced with my mother is just like, when it comes to like, 
being treated unfairly is a lot of times it's at restaurants, which is like weird because yeah. you think of people being nice, but in a recent experience, um, we were at Neaters of all places okay. and the line was kind of long. And, um, my mom got to the cash register. I ordered and then my mom was ordering. And then she was like, um, what'd she say? She's like, okay, can I have soup? And they're like, that comes with bread. What kind of bread do you want? And she's like, what kind of breads do you have? And they like listed the list of breads and then she chose one. And then the girl said, we're out of that bread. And then, um, my mom was like, okay, well, what are the breads again? And so she listed them again. And my mother chose another bread. And then the girl, like a little more impatient was like, we're out of that one too. And then my mom goes, well, like what breads do you have? And she's like, okay, well, I think we have this and this and this. And I was like, okay. And my mom's like, okay, I'm just, I'm not sure if I want to try this one or this one. Like, could I get a little sample? And she was like, no, we don't do bread samples here. And my mom was like, okay, well then just give me this one. And my mom is so nice. So she didn't say anything, but I was just like, okay, like this is kind of rude. But then I kind of kept my eye on her because we like sat pretty close and I was just like watching her. And literally the next couple in line was a white couple. Mm. Her entire demeanor changed. And then the man asked for samples of like three different kinds of breads and she gave them to him. What? And I was just like, are you me? Like I, <laughs> I mean, I try not to like get frustrated like that in front of my mom just because she's so sweet. But like I wrote the manager after and I said, hey, look, I'm not looking for any free food. I'm not looking for anything. But just so you know, like this was like an act of racism in your store. Like she denied my mom the same treatment that she gave the very next customer who was white. And like it was the exact same thing. They asked for the exact same thing, samples of bread. She told my mom we didn't do it. And then she gave them to him. And I was like, I'm not asking for you to like give me anything i'm just asking for to for you to train your employees a little bit better if you're going to offer one service to like one customer offer it to another one and it's little things like that that people don't think are a big deal but like they happen and they happen everywhere and they happen in linden utah or in utah whatever that's on the border but (laughs) you know what i mean it's just like um but yeah but it's just frustrating that's terrible um anyway you asked a lot of questions about the church so obviously i'm not active in the church anymore and i know that that was one of your questions and um i'm not active in the church just because for me it kind of like being gay i eventually got to this place where i didn't know how to reconcile my experience with my beliefs and i still don't Hmm. and for me it's safer emotionally and for my well-being to live my life in a very authentic way, meaning this is the person that I want to be from the inside out. And I'm striving to live that way. And then we'll get a point where maybe one day I'll be able to reconcile what the church teaches with what I've experienced, but I haven't gotten to that point yet. So anyway, it was interesting getting to that point in college where I realized that I felt different everywhere in my life Mm -hmm. because I started to realize that I wasn't doing anything for myself. Right. I wasn't studying this field because I wanted to study that field. I was studying that field because I thought it would make X, Y, and Z person proud. Right. Like I, what else, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like everything I was doing in my life was mostly just to fit in or to do the right, do the right thing. And 
and that just gets exhausting. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine like how far that goes and has gone for you because I don't know. I'm glad that you're doing what's best for you because I think that's all that we can do. And yeah, I think that, I don't know, I guess I wish more of us were doing that in whatever way like that means. Like I, even for me, like, like my parents, I love them. But when I, I told them, I think last summer that I was like, I haven't made any decisions yet. I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but there's a like pretty large possibility that when church comes back on for real, that I won't be there. And they were just like, what? You can't do that. Like you have to go, like you can't, I don't know. And it's, it was like surprising to me that they reacted in that way. Cause it's like, I talked to them about all of the things. And so it's not like, and they weren't really surprised. I think they were just surprised that I actually was gonna not you know I think the church in and of itself in a lot of the ways that it functions as it is now and the culture especially is very very harmful to people in this like current day where things are just teetering on the end of like I don't know I I have a hard time understanding how more people don't feel that way but um Mm. but that for me it's just been like I don't know all these things that like you said like I can't reconcile my heart with the things that I have been like taught to believe and have believed for so long that it's like I don't know I'm just kind of kind of take a minute and like I'm not writing all of it off but I just it it doesn't make sense to me to be there it's like not the place where I need to be right this second I'm still doing my own thing I kind of like curate a little like Sunday school experience for myself with some different podcasts that I listen to but I think we all could um benefit from realizing that there's more than one way to observe um I don't remember what we were talking about I do okay don't worry <laughs> I think do you want me to just like jump into it or do you want me to like give you a little thing go for it okay yeah I mean you were kind of talking about how like we all go through different challenges, you know, whether mine's being gay, whether it's being a colored person in the church. And, you know, there's a culture that can be an accepting of whatever it is. And just to kind of like, it was interesting for me to go through this process of, of coming out because suddenly I had to accept a part of myself that I had pushed down so deep that I was in such denial about it for so long. And one of the like impetus for me to like come out was interesting because it was that when people would be like, Oh, Levi, I love you. Even like my parents or people I was dating, I'd be like, "Uh, well, if you only knew this about me. So it was like, I never, I remember telling my therapist when I like first came out was like, I got to figure this out. The main reason I wanted to do that was because I was like, I just want to know what it feels like to believe that somebody loves me. At that point in my life, it was like, I didn't believe anybody. You know, somebody telling me that they loved me was, mm, yeah, whatever. And until finally I got to a point in my life where I was like, I want to be loved. And I had to get to this point where I had to learn to love myself too, because, you know, it's really hard to be loved by another person if you can't love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and it was interesting because as I, came to accept myself as a gay person, you start to like become more aware of how you don't love yourself once you learn to love yourself. 
And one of the other parts that I had to learn to love was this other side of me that I didn't like, which was my Mexican side. Mm -hmm. And, um, that like, when I, when I like realized that inside it like hurt. Cause I was like, there is this beautiful, like culture that I come from. There's sorry, I'm getting emotional. There's these beautiful people. And like, I have rejected the people that I want to love even my mom, even her siblings, and I haven't seen the beauty in them because I'm ashamed of that part of myself. Mm. And so like, after I came out, I realized I had to go on this whole other journey where I had to like come to accept my Mexican roots. And going through that process was, was, was really beautiful because then suddenly it was like, I was able to accept, it was always easy to accept my white part because that's what I wanted to be. But then suddenly I had to go through this process to accept my gay part, then my Mexican part and realize, wow, there's beauty that comes from all three of these parts. And that's really cool. But one of the most fulfilling, like I remember, like a lot of us, we make choices for other people. Mm -hmm. And which is sad because when we make choices for other people, we betray ourselves subconsciously. And what happened, like, let's say that somebody betrays us in real life we develop a resentment against that person, mm. right? But when we betray ourselves by living for other people and subconsciously we betray ourselves, we subconsciously become resentful mm. against ourselves, which is so sad because then we get to this point in our life where we're like, why do I hate myself so much? It's like, oh, because you've literally denied your spirit what it wants for its whole life. Yeah. Um. And that like kind of brings us back to the point of the church, just some thoughts I have. It's so interesting. This is what's been frustrating with me, with people in the church who have a hard time accepting differences within the church. And it's that, it's like, why do you preach agency so hard, yet you don't want people to use it? Yeah. I just, I don't get that. It's a good question. And it comes back to like when my mom started working. Mm -hmm she had several people that would like come over with conference talks and be like, did you know that you're not supposed to work? The prophets have said that women are supposed to be in the home. You shouldn't be working. And my mom was like, I'm doing the best I can because my family is poor. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and I just think that that that's, what's so interesting is like, if I had like a wish for people in the church, it would be like, Hey, you're, you say that the whole purpose of this life is for, is for us to like use our agency mm -hmm. and then to let us be accountable for the way that we use our agency. Like if this bothers me when people come to me and they say, don't you know that you're not going to go to the celestial kingdom? You're like, obviously mm. like, like because I'm like living a gay life, I'm just like, don't you think that's something I've thought about? Like, imagine the weight that you have to go through to literally say, okay, I know that I'm probably not going to get this celestial kingdom because of the way that I'm living my life, but I would rather go to the celestial kingdom than live an inauthentic life. Hmm. It's like, don't you know that we've deliberately made that choice? Why do you think so many people just like back off from the church right. completely and then despise it? It's because that's a lot of, that's a lot of weight to carry to say, based on what I know, I'm choosing to not 
meet my potential as a celestial being. It's like, we know. I mean, it's something that like has come up a couple of times when I'm talking to people is this idea that, that we should all be striving for the same thing, but also whether it's never really said in so many words, but there's always kind of this idea in the back of my head when I hear people talk about that or give lessons about, you know, the kingdoms and where we want to end up and stuff that it's like, well, there's only going to be so many people there though, I think. So it's like, I think for a lot of the time I've chosen to not even think about what comes next in terms of what level I'm going to end up in because it scares the heck out of me. I really wish there was another device that the church would use to try and um, motivate people because I think that it it's it's problematic but also harmful when you talk about it in the way that that there's one best place to be and not everyone's going to get there and you might be but we won't know until like after you die and after the resurrection and after everyone's judged and you know it's always just kind of a toss-up until then and I'm just like I and I've always thought to myself too that like well maybe like I don't really want to be in the very tippy top level of the celestial kingdom because and there's like the levels within the levels or whatever, but well, to build off of that comment, it's funny because you you say you know it's a way to incentivize righteous living, saying here is the celestial kingdom, here is exaltation. However, a huge thing that I think a lot of mm-hmm. LDS people say is I don't want to live in fear, and it's like mm, isn't literally not drinking coffee or ever having alcohol or abstaining from sex from marriage. It's not that you want to do any of those things. It's that you're literally afraid of the consequence of not doing those things. So when I started to distance myself from the church, suddenly I had to be like, wait, everything that used to govern my life doesn't have to govern my life anymore. And so I'm like, well, how am I going to decide what I do and don't do or how I live my life? Because suddenly, you know, you can say it's a quote unquote free for all. But for me, that wasn't it. It was what it was Mm -hmm. about. It was about saying, who am I inside? What do I want to bring out to the world? Like, who is my spirit? Who am I? What do I want out of my life? And the question that I started to ask myself was, well, what kind of a person do I want to be for no reward? Let's say I go to outer darkness, you know, which I don't think I will. Hopefully I don't feel like I'm that terrible of a person. (laughs) No, but um, like, let's say I do. Even if I'm there sitting in outer darkness with, you know, I don't know, I won't name any names, but terrible people, am I going to be proud of the way that I lived? And that's kind of how I've like started to live my life. And I've just been like, okay, is this really how I want to live my life? And I had to choose my own values, right? I had to be like, okay, well, these are the things that are important to me. And it was took trial and error. But eventually I was like, okay, here's some values that are really important to me. And then now I've learned to be like, okay, like if let's say that I take anything that used to be a church value, for example, let's just say coffee is a perfect example. You know, before it was like, don't mm-hmm. drink coffee. That's against the word of wisdom and whatever, you know? And now it's like, okay, well, I know that I really value being kind and honest or know that I really value being happy and healthy. And I'm like, does coffee impact my ability to live these values? And for me, the answer was no. 
um, if anything, it like helps. One of my values is productivity. I love being like productive. And I was like, if anything, coffee helps me with <laughs> it helps me live my values. So that that's just like a perfect example where suddenly I started to, you know, have my own values that were genuinely important to my spirit and to my soul. And then I started to live my life by those instead of saying, what what am I supposed to live by? I chose what I was to live by based on what was important to me. And, and that's like what I want for people. And, you know, I mean, I'm like a huge promoter of self-awareness because I think once you figure out who you are, you can take control of your life. And then if you understand who you are, then, then you can live off You can live authentically. And like science shows, the better you can do both of these things, like the happier you're going to be, the better your relationships are going to be. And at the end of your life, you're going to look back and be like, yeah, I was who I wanted to be. I want that for people. And the thing, the funny thing is you can do that in the church. Mm-hmm. If the being in the church is really important to you and you really value religiosity, like the thing is, don't let someone tell you how to be religious, right? right? Ask yourself, what do I want my religiosity to look like mm-hmm. so that you can make the decision? Like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting a little sidetracked. But. No, I think that's, um, I really appreciate that. Even just hearing you talk about that. I, I've realized over the last, I don't know, six months to a year now, that I've, I've always valued honesty in my relationships and even things that are like hard to say to people who really matter to me, I'm going to say them anyway. And I think what's been harder than that for me to deal with right now is um, the people I don't have those relationships with. Like I, Mm. that I don't, that I don't have that trust with, that I don't have that desire to be honest with, because I don't know what I'm getting myself into being honest with certain people, you Mm. know? Yeah. And when you talked about, you know, a lot of the time, where people making decisions for other people. I've always in my head thought like, well, I'm not that person. <laughs> One of the things that I used to always, so in, in terms of astrology, I'm a Libra. And, nice. <laughs> um, I've never really like bought into any of that, but because it always annoyed me to see like the, the memes that would come up and be like, oh, you're a people pleaser. I'm like, I am not. Like, I mean, I don't know what <laughs> anybody else thinks. Like, I'm not. But then I like, I've realized like over time that I like, I think I am a little bit in the ways that like I didn't, think it was necessarily like a bad thing but I don't know I've realized that (laughs) even when I like don't necessarily like a person I still want them to like me Mm, interesting and um like I'm like even if I like don't want to be that person's friend I still want them to be want to be my friend (laughs) interesting and I've in just different ways I realized like how that has come into play especially in me trying to figure out like what I want to do as far as like church stuff goes that um so much of me has been like afraid to talk to like my neighbors and people in my ward about things that are actually important to me and like on my heart a lot of the time because i don't know like a i don't know how like they're going to react to that and b i don't mm. know how it's going to make me feel to like see however they react to that and i have to think that i would be wrong in thinking that they would react adversely but in the little bit that I've seen from people here and there I haven't been given a lot of hope in that sense but I don't know it really touched me to hear you say that you're making decisions for yourself in that way and figuring out what it means to you rather than like 
what it means to other people. I think that's like something I'm in the midst of trying to figure out right now. And I, part of it is like, I don't want to care so much about what other people think about what I'm doing with my life at this point or how they feel about what I'm doing and what I'm saying and how I'm changing. But I don't know, kind of like what we were talking about before with having that sense of like wanting to belong ingrained within me. I don't want to stray too far from what people think is acceptable because I would be devalued in their eyes. But at the same time, like I think about that and I'm like, well, if they're going to think about that about me, like, do I even care? But it's, I don't know, like in my head, it's easy, but it's hard to actually do. Yeah. Well, I think a question to ask yourself when you're going through something so hard, you're saying who I've been my entire life. I don't know who that person is anymore. Right. And there's this sense of fear of like, what does my life, what is my life going to look like now that I don't have what I've always clung to. Right. And like, for, for me, I feel like you're having this like religious coming out or spiritual coming out, you know, for you, (laughs) or it's just like, you want to tell people that you're going through something, but you don't know who, how will this person react? Tell them not. And for me, I mean, we all have to get to this point where we have to be like, well, what's the motivating factor or what is going to determine whether or not I tell somebody. And for me, when I first was coming out, it was, will telling this person help me or will telling this person help them? Mm. And that was the criteria that I had for myself when I first started coming out to people was, is it going to help me or is it going to help them? And before I would tell someone, then I would, I, I would kind of ask myself that question and and help me. But you also brought up a good point. Like, what if there are people who aren't going to respond positively? And I think one of the hardest parts about understanding who you are and how beautiful and amazing you are is also starting to understand that there are people who aren't that way. <laughs> Just no but, um, <laughs> no, but what I mean by that is I mean, like, you have to learn to set boundaries for yourself. Yeah. And Um, I remember, I mean, going back to spiritual things, funny or religious things. I remember reading this talk once that it wasn't even a talk. It was like a BYU speech. And this lady, she was a therapist. And what she said was, she's like, so often we try to deal with celestial behavior with celestial behavior. So someone's being a dick. And then we are like, oh, I'm going to be charitable and make you cookies. It's like, no, someone's rude to you. (laughs) Like, don't just like go be nice to them because that's not really how God deals with us with us either no it's not that's a very good point right it's not there are commandments and so she uh, she brought up an example in her talk where there was this husband um and he if he came home and his wife was outside playing with the kids and the house was messy and dinner wasn't cooked he would lock all the doors and lock her inside like i'll lock her outside ew and then for however long he wanted to right So she was like working with her therapist. I know, I know. So she was working with her therapist with this for a while. And she's like, okay, um, well, this is not how life works. So what I want you to do is I want you to always have your wallet and your keys Mm. in your pockets and then always have changes of clothes for the kids in the car and always carry cash on you. And then I want you to go to your husband and I want you to say, hey, when you do this, it makes me feel like an imposter in my own home. So just so you know, if you come home and you lock us out again, I will take the kids and I will go take us somewhere safe. And I won't come home until I know that I'm not an imposter in my own home again. And he never did it again. 
you know, she set that boundary for herself. And we have to do that at times in our life with people where maybe we don't feel safe. For example, like when I first came out, my parents, they said to me, Levi, you are not allowed to bring anyone over. Like, even if you're dating them, they're not allowed over for dinner. We don't want to see that and things like that. I was like, cool. Um, but me and my mom have always been like super close, super, super mm-hmm. close. And I would tell her like everything. But when I first started dating guys, um, I wouldn't tell her anything. And she would come to me and ask me like, oh, hey, like, have you been on any dates? Like, how's that going? And I would be like, I don't want to talk to you about that. Like, I would literally say that until finally she's like crying at me. And she said, Levi, why won't you tell me anything about your dates? And I said, if you don't want to see that part of my life, you don't get to know about that part of my life. Mm. You know, and it wasn't that I was trying to hold anything over her head. It was saying that like, if I know that you don't accept this part of my life, I'm not going to open up an opportunity for you to reject me. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important in our lives, especially when like, for example, for yourself, as you're determining who do I tell, who can I talk to, who are safe people, there are going to be people who might not be safe people. And that's okay. Cause they don't, you don't, you don't need them to like you. The only person you need to like you is you at least for me, you know, and I, I interpret the scripture. Some people make fun of me for this, but I interpret the scripture, like love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, imagine if we like all went around and treated other people the same way we treated ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So like if we're standing in front of the mirror and we're like, wow, you are ugly. Right. Or you look terrible today or you, whatever, you know what I mean? And here's the scripture saying, treat people the same way you treat yourself. It's like, what, what would our world look like? But I think there's a really valuable lesson in that. It's just like, yeah. am I comfortable treating other people the way that I treat myself? Because if not, maybe I should figure out what's going on there. Like, why am I saying negative things about myself? And so it's been interesting to have to go through this whole experience because I had to do that for my gay self. I had to do that for my Mexican self. I had to do that for my not active LDS self, which was a person I had to grieve, which is like so funny. But anyway, it's just interesting. Yeah, I think that's, there's just a lot of truth in that. And I think that I haven't thought about it in that specific way that, I don't know, like when you said, God doesn't deal with us that way. Yeah, like I'm not God, but also, I don't know, I have, I think there is a huge part of myself that is still always like, I don't want to treat people better than they treat me the whole like kill them with kindness kind of thing mm-hmm. i get that but i'm like who's that who's that really killing when i do that though i mean there's a couple of situations that i'm in right now that i'm just like uh, you know i'm reaffirming my resolve here in this moment to like just be done with that because because is it kind to yourself no it's not right to continue in that is not these relationships that don't want to that don't want to affirm my life and my life experiences and the life experiences of people who are different than them. And it's like, in in my head, I always have this voice in the back of my head saying like, well, how would you want someone to treat you if you were doing that same thing? Like, I don't want people to like treat me nicely. I'd want them to give me some grace. But at the same time, like, I'm like, I don't feel like I would ever do that to somebody. And if I did, like, I would at least feel bad when they brought it up to me. And these people don't, they really don't. And so I think I've, for a long time, been giving a lot of people too much of the benefit of the doubt. And I think it's possible to do that. I didn't think that, I didn't used to think that that was possible, but I think it's fully possible to 
kind of dig yourself a hole trying to lift other people up who don't deserve your effort in that way. Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of people think that that's like, well, that's not like a Christ-like attitude to have. And I'm like, I don't think that Christ would want me to continually put myself down so other people can feel better about themselves. Right. And also, how did Christ treat people who were judgmental and not compassionate? He was very direct and very honest. Yeah. And I think that's like the truth that so much of the time we're missing. He's we've somehow created this like caricature of Christ as this person who always turned the other cheek. But like, what does that really mean? I think we've kind of distorted that in a way to mean that he would have just patted them on the back and said, you know, like, it's okay, you'll get there. In a way, I'm sure that he does that. But also this whole thing is about, I don't know, this, I feel like so much of the LDS religion is based around agency and with agency comes accountability and responsibility. And I feel like so much of the time we're not putting the emphasis on those parts of it. Right. Well, and it's so agency, it's this, this action, it's making choices, but it's important to remember that like behaviors Hmm. are a reflection of our emotions. Now our our emotions, we can't always control. Hmm. And like, that's fine. However, our behaviors we can control. Mm -hmm. And just because we want to like build a boundary and be honest with someone, it doesn't mean it gives us permission to like be a bitch, right? It just, Mm -hmm. it means that we can say, hey, look, this individual, every time I'm around them, they make me feel really little about myself. And it's like, I don't like that. I, I want to feel confident about myself. So I'm just not going to surround myself. It doesn't mean that like, oh yeah, they make me feel feel bad. So I'm going to go be super mean to them. That's, that's, I think it's important to say, okay, even though I am experiencing this emotion, like what is the behavior that I want, that I want to give off? And it's like, maybe that behavior is, I want to see them less. Or when I interact with them, I want to make a disclaimer and say, hey, historically in interactions with you, I felt like I felt put down. And today, I I don't want to feel like that with you, Hmm. right? And my intention in telling you that isn't to accuse you of anything. It's just to be honest with you. And I just, what I really want is I really want us to understand each other instead of be resentful against each other or or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, I think sometimes it's so important to think about what is this person making you feel? But then also, what do you want that person to make you feel? Or what do you want that experience to make you feel? But then also like, ask yourself, how am I going to get there? Mm-hmm. you know and sometimes it's i'm not so i'm not going to talk to them and sometimes it's oh i'll bet if i just told them how i was feeling maybe they would want to listen mm-hmm. and i want to listen to how i make them feel right i don't know and that and that's agency that's agency it's saying what what do i want my life to look like and how am i going to go get it yeah and I think that sometimes that that's what's get that's what gets lost in the church is right they say here's how I'm supposed to make here are the choices I'm supposed to make in my life it's like mm-hmm. mm, that's not how it works <laughs> <laughs> anyway. especially like this the I don't know hearing you say that I'm thinking of the emphasis we put on being able to receive revelation for ourselves but like so much of the time I haven't ever really understood, like, I haven't understood, like, how to see that in my own life, how to understand that, because 
I think for a long time I was looking for like a very specific thing because, you know, you always hear the stories of like, oh, I heard a voice or like I just had this like sentence pop into my brain and that's how I knew what was going to happen. And I remember a Relief Society lesson where they were talking about how like how we pick our husbands and like you pray to God that like that's the person that you should marry. And I thought to myself right then, I was like, I never prayed okay like never it didn't ever even occur to me to like just because I I didn't need to I didn't feel like I needed to and I think so much of the time because of the way that it is taught a lot of the time and represented that like the way that you receive revelation for yourself is going to be like as you're praying or right after you're praying or that or that like that prayer has to be this thing where you are on your knees, like on the edge of your bed, where so much of the time to me, I feel like I'm just like in my head, like talking that awareness that I, I'm not alone in that sense of heavenly parents or Jesus or whoever is always around me that I don't. Yeah, I think it's appropriate at times to like, you know, do the invocation in that um, specific way. But I think so much of the time I have done myself a disservice in thinking that I needed to, that like revelation was going to come to me in this very specific way that I'd never encountered before and that waiting mm-hmm. for that was like it was just never going to happen like I remember one of the first times that I really was looking for an answer to something and I just like was not getting it and I was like I don't understand like I'm reading my scriptures and I'm like praying and it's been like a week and a half and I feel like I should have like felt something by now and that like I went to my dad and I was like I don't understand what am I doing wrong mm-hmm. and he was like well I don't think it is that you're doing something wrong. I think it's just that you already know what you need to do. Or maybe in this situation, your heavenly parents trust you. And they, whether you do it or whether you don't, you're going to figure it out. So either, either way, it's just like a choice that you're making. There's no wrong choice. I don't know. When it comes to this, the idea of like preordination, like, yes, like we have our choices, but, you know, God knows like what we're more likely to do. And so in that way, like our life is already planned out, but I just have like never felt that for myself. Like it's always just, I'm making decisions. And I think that my heavenly parents know me and I know myself well enough that I can make those decisions and that I trust myself to make them. And it wasn't until I like understood that a little better that I was like, oh, I don't have to like pray for guidance about every little thing because if I'm really listening to myself, like I know what I need or want to do. And I think that in, in this situation for me where all of these new things are coming up, it's, it's been so tricky to do that because of the fear behind it. That it's hard for me to figure out which part of it is the most authentic. Hmm. Am, I thinking, am I thinking like I don't want to do this because I'm afraid of what the outcome will be? Or am I thinking I don't want to do this because I shouldn't be doing it? you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just been the trickiest part of all of this is because I go back and forth a lot. I've never like uh, decided on any one thing. I feel like every day is like mm. a different thing. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> what am I doing? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's hard is to get to a point where you know what you want mm. and to be like, if you're asking God to make all your decisions for you, you're not going to get very far. I'm sorry, because guess what? Like you said, how are you even going to know whether what's his his decision, you know? Right. But 
it's so important. <laughs> it's so important to just get to a point where you know what your soul wants. And a lot of that comes from obviously determining what your values are. Cause if you know, like, Oh, well, I really value honesty. I mean, you've mentioned that before. It's like, well, is this decision that you're making, does it allow you to be honest? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and that, and that's a hard journey to get to a point where you know who you are inside you can determine whether or not you do or desire don't desire something and then get to a point where you can make decisions based off of that. And it's hard, but it's beautiful, right? Because yeah. then you know how you want to live. Sounds like you on this beautiful journey of figuring out who you are, this journey of self-discovery. And just like from my point, it's interesting to hear your perspective because, you know, as I followed you kind of on and off through the years, I've always been like, oh, she's so confident. How how can I like be more confident like her? And, you know, I'm like, she's so adventurous and she's so herself and she's so like unafraid, courageous. Like those are all things that all adjectives I use to like use to describe you in my head, like over the years and to my mom, like look what color her hair is this week. You know what I mean? Just like so excited about it. And like, look at this cute outfit. Cause I love that. Um, but it's just a testament to that, like, while we all have our strengths, we all have our internal fears, we all have our internal struggles. And wow. whether that's being colored, whether that's our sexual orientation, whether that's trauma we've experienced, it's all there. And it's all scary. And we all have to get through it at some point. But it's like resilience, you know, we can all become stronger as a result of it. It just takes effort. Wow. <laughs> And I think the like the tricky part of it is that like it gets worse before it gets better, right? Because I don't know. I think about myself in the past, and I'm like, I mean, I know that was me, but how? Especially right now, and I think so much of it was that I just was like, do do do, like everything's cool, nothing bad happens ever. And now mm-hmm. just being like fully, and I think a, I think a lot of like a huge part of me knew that like obviously bad things happen, but it was just this like the internalization of like the spiritual bypassing aspect of like church that I was like, I can do all things with God, which like true, but Mm -hmm. also some things you can't just change by like praying about it. And I think that for a long time, I was very heavily in that place of just like, everything's good because God is good. And not that they're not, but there's so many other things that I think that it's been this weird balance of like feeling so whole in ways that are also like so painful realizing like kind of like like you like you've talked about um communing more with the different parts of yourself being more honest with yourself about those things i think that that has just been a journey that i've been on in the last year and a half that mm. i'm just like wow ow <laughs> like but it, there's there's times when it feels so I don't want to say like good it feels powerful it feels empowering but at the same time it hurts a lot well it's uh, yeah I mean I've said this to people before and they're like should I go to therapy I'm like everyone should go to therapy yes. I'm like, but I'm warning you because I've heard people say like I go to therapy and then it's like it brings out all these weird emotions and I don't like it so I stop going and I'm like yeah that's kind of what sucks about <laughs> figuring out your shit is that you go to therapy or you go to a friend or whatever and you bring up all these emotions that you just spent 15 years like 
hiding so and digging down into the like the depths of your soul and then you have to bring them to the surface and your sessions an hour and then suddenly you're like have all this anger from 15 years that you just brought up to the surface and now you have to live with it for a second before you figure <laughs> out how to get past it mm. and yeah it's a, such a painful experience it's like no wonder a lot of people don't go through that journey it's because it, it hurts yeah. and emotional pain is interesting because it's not like you can just take an ibuprofen Nope. And have it be gone. Like, are there have been times where, especially after like breakups, sometimes it's like I tell people, I'm like, you know, your heart, it's ripped out of your chest. And I like feel things like so strongly. And it's like, you sit there and I'm just like sobbing in my car. And I'm just like, I just want it to go away. Mm-hmm. But it can't. It's not just pain. You can, you know, go pop a pill and it goes away. Like, emotional pain and learning to deal with that is like, it's beautiful, but so painful, just like you said. But like you said, it's so rewarding to get to this point to be like, I know who I am. I know what I want to accomplish in this world. I know the way that I want to live my life and I'm living it. And that's what's interesting is that once you get to that point, you don't really feel shame for the choices you make because suddenly you're like, okay, yeah, I did this and like, not great, but also like, I'm still a great person because everybody makes mistakes you know what I mean it's nice yeah. to not have that shame but um so I'm just excited for you I'm I'm <laughs> grateful that you're feeling empowered and that you're also feeling the pain because you know it's once you get past that it just opens for me it's opened this this ability as I've come to discover how unique I am inside I've started to see how unique other people are and it's cool to not judge people for having a tattoo or for drinking coffee or for having a cocktail or for, you know, showing cleavage or for showing a mattress. You know what I mean? It's nice <laughs> to not judge people for that because then suddenly you can be like, oh, wait, you're a beautiful person and you have so much beauty that you're emanating. And I'm so glad that I'm not letting all of this facade not let me see it. Mm. And like the more you can see yourself for who you truly are, the easier it is to allow yourself to see others for who they truly are. And and the world is just so beautiful. <laughs> so yeah. I'm excited for you. Well, and just know I'm always a safe person. You can always talk to me about anything. <laughs> or my mom. She's super cool. Well, thank you for talking to me. Thank I think you. We've gotten a lot of good things. Right. But really, let me know if you let me know what you need. Like I'm always here to chat, and just good luck. Thank you. You too. It's hard to question who you are and the life yeah. you've lived. <laughs> I really love talking to you. So Same. I wasn't sure what to expect, just because, like, you know, it's been a long time. I feel like you're really special, Levi. <laughs> Same. Okay, <laughs> we'll have you over soon. Yay. Cool. All right. Well, have a good night. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Okay. Good luck. Bye. There you go. Episode six. Hopefully, listening to that sounded a little bit more contained than actually having the conversation. Maybe you noticed that I was a little bit all over the place, but that's just how I was feeling. And I think an important part of this podcast for me and for sharing it with you is to be honest about where I am and what's happening with me. And hopefully that will encourage you as a listener 
to be honest with the people around you and with yourself. And, you know, if you're a person of color within the church or within Utah and you want to talk to me, let's do it. Until next time, guys. Love you. Bye.